So today, today's a good chapter for us because it's about contentions in the church and how to work out or work those through. I thought about calling this, instead of contending for the church, I thought about calling this church fights uh, because in the last days, there will be lots of conflicts. So we must be wise on how we handle them. Our enemy is looking for any opportunity to separate believers over things that are not eternal. All right, let's lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPads, whatever you have your Bible on, because this is your saving grace right here. So lift it up, make this declaration with me. Say this with me. This is my Bible, God's holy word. This book is alive and it's powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith, I can do all it says I can do. I can be all it says I can be, and I can have all it says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we go on, let me just say one more thing about controversy, uh, contentions, whatever it might be. If something's bugging you, come and see me. I'm serious. If it bothers you about any doctrine of the church, because gossip and slander is one of the worst things in the church today. So keep your mouth shut and come and talk to me. All right, here we go. Now this chapter, let me give you a little background, is a pivotal moment in the life of the church, which now, it seems like it's a new church, but after 15 chapters, this church in the New Testament is about 20 years old. And a contention rises up who gets to be, and the contention is who gets to be part of the church and who doesn't. In other words, it's a doctrinal issue about salvation. The church is growing numerically, and some people don't like who's getting in, so they want to, they don't like change. So let me give you a definition of contention, all right? It means a struggling together in opposition. It means strife, dispute, argument, a point contended for in controversy. Let me say it again. Contention means a struggling together in opposition. So you're together, but you're in opposition, all right? Strife, dispute, argument, a point contended for in controversy. So just to let you know, there's been a lot of contentions in the church since it started over 2,000 years ago. There are over 200 denominations in America. But here's a kicker. There's 45,000 Christian denominations worldwide, which means there's been a lot of church fights. Now, most church fights are dumb. Like, I don't like the pastor's personality. I don't like what he's wearing. I don't like a scratchy voice. Uh, I, I don't like the way he said that. I don't like the floor covering. Well, neither do I. So there you go. Uh, I, I don't like them... Uh, I don't like them sealing. By the way, our parking lot is going to get sealed and parking stripes are going in. I think it's next week, all right? See, now everybody cheers for that. Okay, I want new carpet in the sanctuary. Yeah. 
cost another $20,000, okay? No, no applause for that one, all right. I don't like the music. It's too loud. It's too soft. I don't like that they don't sing hymns. I don't like that they sing choruses. And it goes on and on and on. Here's what Jude says about it. There's only one chapter, verse 3. Beloved, while I was very, in fact, read it with me. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So this dispute, uh, what it, what it is what, what it takes to get into the church and who gets kicked out of the church. So the question we want to ask and answer today is what kind of church do we believe God wants us to be? And here's the question. What will religion keep people out or will we open the door of grace and welcome people home? And I want you to know as your pastor, we want to be a church that welcomes people home through God's grace. And this is more than a mantra. We believe God puts people in a family. Psalm 68.6 says, God sets the solitary and the lonely and families. And guess what? No matter what kind of family you grew up in, if it was screwed up, hopefully you can get in a place that's safe and healing in your life called a church. So let's look at this contention in Acts 15, verse 1. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. And, and they said this, Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. How many know that's a lie? But you'll get people coming in trying to push things on us that are not in Scripture. That's why this word of God is so important. All right? So Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing arguing vehemently. By the way, that means, I looked it up, because that's a big word for me, which means to be intensely passionate or downright upset to the point of raising your voice. I like that. Which means this was no light discussion. This was, oh, you really think that? No, Paul was going, that is a lie from the pit of hell. I'm not going to let it come into this church. So finally, uh, It says the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem accompanied by some local believers to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles too we're being converted. Now, you, may, you guys should be cheering because you're a Gentile. Right. Well, maybe not. Are there any Jews in this place? True Jews. Born. Okay, there's one right. Yeah, we're so glad you're here. All right. Here, here we go. Verse 4. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders, and they reported everything God had done through them. But then, but then, some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted 
the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the, Paul, so the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach the Gentiles to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. And we talked about that five chapters back in Acts chapter 10. God knows people's hearts and he confirmed that, the, that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He, now listen to this next verse. He made no distinction between us and them, Jews and Gentiles, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. That, that should, we should applaud this verse, I'm telling you. Okay, verse, not, verse 10. So why are you now challenging God by burning the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we, were, we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Read that with me. We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Jesus. Now that verse is worth applauding. Come on. So what they're trying to do is do away with the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection, and bring back legalism. So let me give you a definition of legalism. It means a belief and a practice, a belief and practice that keeping rules and regulations gives me acceptance to God. Or another way to say it, is earning God's favor through my behavior. And I want you to know this. We need to remember, I I need to give a little grace to the Pharisees. They've been practicing this lifestyle for 1,500 years. And it's been over 1,900 years since the Abrahamic covenant uh, came into being, which was established by circumcision to be identified as the holy people of God. And now everything is changing. I mean, no change is hard. It's hard. If you've been used to doing things one way and then somebody challenges your normal way of doing things, your routine, it gets hard. And, and, when, and when that's your only experience that you've ever known in your relationship with God, it makes it very difficult. So all their lives for centuries, they have been told, this is the way it is to get to God. Keep the rules and God will love you. All right? And what can happen is this. Religion and legalism can creep into our lives, and and it it, it doesn't matter. You say you're not under the law, but we make laws. We make rules. All right? (coughs) You can write this down. It's called Jesus plus. So they're trying to say Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus no smoking, no drinking, no playing billiards, and no playing cards. I grew up in a church like that. My dad was not the kind of guy, no, no wearing makeup. So my dad, he didn't believe in that, so we bought a billiard table. We had it up at our summer home. But every time the pastor came up, we turned it into a ping pong table. Just covered it with a 
See, he wasn't under the law, but was he not under the law? He was scared what the law might say. All right, we, we, we do things like, you can only wear your hair in a bun. No loud music, no soft music, only hymns, no chorus songs. I know a denomination that does not allow kitchens in the same building as the sanctuary. Yeah, I know. I said to this pastor, where'd you guys come up with that rule? And he looked at me and goes, I have no idea. <laughs> no instruments allowed in the church, only a cappella singing. Well, for those of you who have a nice voice, that's good. For us, we're, for people like me, we are grateful for instruments, all right? Anyway, and on and on it goes. So Jesus plus says, I know I'm saved by grace, but if I add this or that, then I will be a little more qualified and I will, Jesus, God will love me more. All right, that's what it's saying. So we have to be careful when it comes to our salvation and realize we can't add anything to what Jesus already accomplished. It, it, listen, he painted the perfect masterpiece for salvation. It would, be like you, it would be like you walking into a museum of art and there's this, who's a great artist? Uh, who, who? Picasso, okay, all right. Whoever his name might be. And you walk in there and you see this picture and you take out your pen and you say, I think I can prove this. I think I've fixed this. How many know your little kid taking out a color crayon would be in big trouble? And that's the thing. Philip Yancey says this in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. He writes about legalism and he, and he as the Pharisees, as enforcers of the law. And he says this, the Pharisees and teachers of the law competed with one another in the strictness of their application of the law. And otherwise, it was a competition. They had itemized God's 10 laws, commandments, into 613 rules. So 10 now, 613. 248 commands, 365 prohibitions, and they bolstered these rules with 1,521 commandments for a grand total of 2,747 147 rules and regulations to live by every day. You know what? If these guys had won this argument, we would be singing amazing circumcision. How sweet the sound. A savior wretch like me. Or we might be singing something like, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the law of Moses. Now, I just want how, how, how ridiculous it is and exhausting and actually impossible to keep all those laws. No one could keep the law, and yet there was a sect of the Pharisees called, by the way, there was one called, one sect of the Pharisees called the bleeding and bruised Pharisees. Yep, you know what they did? They were afraid that they might lust over a woman, so they would keep their heads down and walk and bang into walls, seriously. And they were called bleeding and bruised Pharisees. So, you know, Jesus wanted us to understand that religion can make you do dumb things. So he addressed this hypocrisy, double standard and all that stuff and the yoke of religion and to let us know how, how dumb it can be. So listen to these words of Jesus in Matthew 23. He says this, the Pharisees do not practice 
what they teach. That's the bottom line. Now, we don't all practice what we teach here either, but hopefully you have the guts to admit you don't. All right? They didn't. Uh, Look at verse four. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. So here is this moment, Acts 15, where the yoke of legalism and earning your way into God's favor is broken off once and for all. Aren't you glad? Okay. Now, as we read on, I just want you to know, it means that we want to help people become part of the family of God without any legalism. So verse 15, or verse 12, it says this, everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And when they had finished, James stood and said, brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted as it is written. And he starts quoting the book of Amos. Afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. All those I have called to be mine, the Lord has spoken. He who made these things known so long ago. Okay, let me unpack this just for a moment. The contention's beginning to rise. The voices are getting louder. Veins are popping out of people's necks. And as they do that, feathers are ruffled, all right? Now, until the apostle James stands up and he settles everyone down and begins to clarify through scripture what is happening. And he quotes a 900-year-old prophecy by Amos, and he says, Amos said, after that. Well, what is after that? That is, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which we read about in Acts 1 and 2. And uh, after that, he says, after I pour out my Holy Spirit, I will return and restore David's tabernacle that has fallen down and I will rebuild it so that the rest of mankind, the Gentiles, by the word way, the, the word Gentile simply means pagan and heathen, which thou art. We all are. We're pagans and we're heathens, all right? Who have never heard about God, they can come and seek the Lord. So this is what what we are witnessing today. That's what he was saying. Now, the tabernacle of Moses, I don't have time to talk about it, but the tabernacle of Moses talks about a way to get to God because you're qualified and only the priest could get into the presence of God. And that was a hierarchy that was uh, established those 1,500 years before. The tabernacle of David, though, is a grace-based picture of what God's um, uh, presence is all about. Now, you can see the tabernacle of David. That's not very clear. Is there any way to get it clearer? But anyway, uh, the tabernacle of David was a tent. That's all it was. It was out in the open. And that's the ark of God that represented the presence of God. And what he was trying to say is that anybody could come to this tent. Anybody could come 
to the presence of God. So David, he took off the restrictions. There were priests, there were instruments, there were people singing and rejoicing before God. So God's saying, I want you to know, I'm gonna restore that. Not the old regime, but this regime or this new, this new uh, routine that come before God with worship, praise, redemption, because you're in the presence of God. So as we were reading this, Listen to me, this is what it says here now. He goes in verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Let me say that again. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain four things. Abstain from eating food offered to idols, in other words, demonic worship, from sexual immorality, in other words, the marriage, uh, marriage should be sacred, all right, from eating the meat of strangled animals and consuming blood, again, that all had to do with idol worship and demonic worship, so my, my thought to you is, I don't want to, want to take time to explain all this, maybe another time, but don't do that, all right, verse 31, and there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. So as I was reading this, how many know it'd be great joy that you don't have to keep the 2,700 plus things? All right, just do these four things. And part of it was basically to keep the Christian Jewish people happy, not, not just the Gentiles. Now, as I was reading this verse, this question came to me. What makes it difficult for people to find God at church. I hear all the time, Jesus is just all right with me. I mean, know that song. It's Christians I don't like. I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. So my, my, my thought is just go ahead and come. One more won't matter. It's okay. Okay. It always amazes me that somebody's, uh, it's full of hypocrites. Well, what do you think you are? They're in Safeway, they're in Walmart, they're everywhere. All right. Okay, I'm spiritual. I just don't like to go to church. It's boring. Is there anyone bored here this morning? All right, bring your friends. Tell them it's not boring. All right. My parents and my grandma used to drag me to church and I have no desire to go back. Well, I just want you to know, I got dragged to church too in a polo shirt, which I'm wearing today. All right, but anyway. But uh, I I just want you to know that here we are several years later and uh, God's doing great things in the church today. I've had the privilege of speaking in lots of churches over the years and uh, I love to see what they're doing in those churches. And I I like to look through the eyes of, of someone who's never been to church before when I come in to see how, how I'd feel if I walked in. And I ask myself, do I feel welcomed here? Is there love in this place? Is the guy or gal speaking understandable or is he speaking Christianese and in another language that no one understands? Now, hopefully I could exp- explain just a little bit about the tabernacle of David, but if you're not, you didn't grow up in church, it's like, I don't get that, but he said the presence of God, so maybe I can get something else out of that. All right, uh, is the music good? Is the music good here? Yes. I think so. 
Yeah. And there's the manifested presence of God in this place. Would I want to attend this church and serve in this church? And truthfully, the churches we get to visit really are doing all those things. They're strong in most of those ways. But I wonder the people who come into our church, some of them, I'm wondering, do they think this is weird? Here's all these people with their hands raised. They're clapping. What is wrong with these people? But it's because of the presence of God. Do they sense the presence of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit? They may not know what it is. You may not know what it is, but I can tell you this. It's God telling you he loves you and he's drawing you to himself. Do they understand the sermon? I hope so, but I know it's, it's, I might be batting 300. I don't know. Anyway, are, are their kids well taken care of? I believe our kids' ministry is doing all. Is the coffee decent? Some of you go, I don't know, I'd stop and get my coffee on my way here, but I think our coffee people are doing amazing, all right? Is the atmosphere welcoming? And all that is important because we don't want to be a hindrance of people finding Jesus. But let me just say this, it's important for you to know, Jesus is the main entree in this place, all right? We are not here for the lattes, the lights, and all of that wonderful stuff and entertainment. We're here to meet Jesus Christ. That's why we're gathering. We're here to give him glory. And there are a lot of things that keep people from coming to Jesus. So I want us to eradicate the difficulties. And remember what he said, James said, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for people who are just looking for Jesus. Some of them don't even know they're looking for Jesus, but they are, all right? Now, like the Greeks they, that showed up at one of the festivals in Jerusalem in John 12, and they find one of the disciples and say, we want to see Jesus. Uh, they had probably never read the Bible. They, they probably didn't understand the depth of the celebration, but they were just there because they heard about a man who could change their lives. All right, now listen closely to me. It is my deep conviction that people at our schools, at, our, at your workplaces, people in your families and in our neighborhoods have a God-given desire to know their creator and be in relationship with Jesus. They may not be able to articulate it yet. They may not have experienced it yet. They may not have experienced his power yet, but I can tell you this, there's a yearning in people's hearts today like I've never seen before. People are saying, and I I like what Dave Bryan said in some ways, this nation is screwed up whether we know it or not. And you can stick your head in the sound, sand and say, uh, it, but there's something going on. We don't know what it is, but it doesn't seem right. But I can tell you this, God's the only answer. So Jesus is the one who can change this whole thing. The, this lost world is looking for his love, his grace, and his acceptance. And I think they would show up and come uh, a lot more than we realize. So here's a list of things that might keep people from coming back to church. The church is full of hypocrites. I already mentioned that. By the way, the root word for hypocrite means to wear a mask, to try to be something you aren't. And they are everywhere. Walmart has them, Safeway has them, like I said. Car dealerships have them. Okay, just thought I'd throw that in. Uh, Another thing that keeps people from coming back to church are scandals in the church. Sexual, financial, gossip, um, mean Christians, irrelevant preaching, harsh pastors and leaders, overemphasis on money, 
not enough parking, watered down preaching. I just hope you know that we're doing the best we can to stay in the word of God and not compromise it or water it down in any way. Those are just a few. And our, my heart is that our Harbor City Church would do as much to eliminate those hindrances as possible and simply present Jesus in a very simple way for those who are hungry for him. Now, let me give you three things, three attributes of the house of God that he's building from the tabernacle of David, all right? First one is this, that, and we want to do these same things. We want, when, when we encounter the grace of Jesus and not the law. And what I mean by that is we, so many religions are set up with so many rules and regulations before they allow you to be part of the community. It's a hindrance, all right? But in fact, at this time in history, to become part of Judaism, it was almost a two-year process before you could become part of the church. And I've been part of churches like that. What I have found is that we keep reducing things so that because we've found we're conditioned by TV. You know, there's an advertisement every eight minutes. So that means you guys need a story or something funny every eight minutes for me to keep your attention which I don't do very well. So I just want you to know. Um, so what I'm saying is we don't want to make it hard for people to become part of the church. Now, I'm not talking about watering down leadership. I'm talking about uh, making it easy for people to come, get saved, and serve God. So in, in Judaism, you had to learn large portions of, of the first five books of the Bible. You had to learn some Hebrew, and you had to go through a water water ritual rite. Uh, there was male circumcision. In other words, you had to go through a rigorous process over that two-year period. Now, let me give you a proper application of grace real quickly. It's not on your notes, but you need to probably understand this because a lot of people misinterpret grace. For some, it means, hey, I know I'm a mess and I love Jesus, but I have plans of staying a mess and never changing. Okay, I want you to know uh, what, what grace is. Grace is, a, grace is not a hall pass to live in a sinful lifestyle and condone a lifestyle that turns people off from Jesus. So if you claim to be a Christian, you don't live by rules. You live in love with the person you declare to be your savior, all right? So grace says, come as you are, and then I will convict, convince, and work in you to change you into the image of my son. That's what grace does. So uh, you can write this down. It's grace first, then works will follow. Grace first, then works will follow. Let me show this in scripture in 1 Corinthians. Many years after Paul is saved in Acts 15 and Acts uh, 9 and that area, he's writing to the church he helped plant in Corinth, and he says this. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted the church. I mean, oh, he was a murderer. And some of you would be like, if I told you today you were sitting next to a murderer, you'd probably move over. (laughs) But Paul was a murderer. And he says, it's God's grace. But whatever I am now, it's all because God poured out his special favor, his grace upon me and his grace toward me uh, was not without results. 
for I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. In other words, I'm not motivated to work to get God's approval. I'm working because I'm so grateful for its salvation and forgiveness in my life. That's what Paul's saying. So he says, I can't believe I get to be used for Christ in ministry. After everything I did wrong, now he comes and he saves me by his grace, forgives me, and then allows me to minister to his people. He's saying, I want you to know, when you experience the grace of God, it changes your motivation. So you could write that down. Grace changes your motivation. It's not on your notes. You have to write it somewhere. All right. You're going to want to discover the purpose of God that God created you for with his grace. You're going to want to learn to serve in his house. You're going to want to open your home and learn uh, the word of God and be hospitable. You're going to want to tell others about Jesus because you're so in love with him, all right? And grace will produce something in you that will create a whole uh, different lifestyle, but it comes from the inside out, not from the outside in. Legalism is outside in, Grace is inside out. All right. Now, our God is faithful to convict and he's faithful to convince. And if you are stingy, he will deal with you in the area of generosity. That's just how he works. Because you want to be like Christ. It's not a rule. It's not, people say to me, do I have to tithe? I, I don't know. I, I think tithing's in the Bible. But I'm gonna leave that up to you and God. I don't like, people have said to me, you know, so-and-so's living in sin. Yeah, well, you go talk to him. I'm not the sin police. The Holy Spirit is. Now, some people don't like that, but that's the way it is. Listen, the Holy Spirit is a big guy, and he's faithful to the heavy lifting. We don't have to set the rules and requirements so high that we can see the external evidence that people are growing in God. What we need to do is simply teach the love and power of the Holy Spirit and let grace do the rest, all right? Now, I want us to be a church where people encounter the unmerited favor of God. And I am what I am by the grace of God. Now, I know some of you are saying, boy, Pastor Doug, you're really watering this down today. No, I'm not. What I think people want to do often is make rules so that people, we can say, well, they're, they're doing the right thing. I'm just telling you guys, you don't want to be a Christian like that. You want to be a Christian that never deviates from this. And if this Bible, this is my phone, obviously, but my Bible is on my phone. So I just want you to know, if you start making your rules to accept somebody, and when they tell you this, I've given my life to Christ, I love him with all my heart and I'm trying my best to serve him, then love them unconditionally and help them become more like Christ. All right. All right, here's the second one. When we encounter the presence of Jesus, not a religious setting, and that's like I showed you, the tabernacle of David. They were all worshiping before the Lord. They they didn't show their Christian badge. They just came and worshiped before God and there was... No priest going in once a year to sprinkle the blood of Jesus. Jesus already did it. He did it all. It was was everyone in the room 
288 singers, by the way, dancers. And this atmosphere attracted people to the presence of God. All right. Here's number three. There's no sub. Well, you can write this down. There's no substitute for being in the presence of God. We're not here to build an organization or a denomination that's built on information and programs. We're here to build a church and the church just means the called out ones that is in relationship with Jesus Christ. The third attribute you can write down, it is where we receive unconditional love of Jesus. I just think we need to hear this so much these days. Love that has conditions is not the true love of Jesus Christ. So when people tell you, I'll love you if you do this, and if you do that, that's not love. That's not God's love. And some of you grew up in a family like that. I'll love you if you perform for me. God's love says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's why you have this communion today in your hand. I'm so grateful that when I've made mistakes, Jesus treated me like the prodigal son. Prodigal son took all the wealth that he could, went off and spent it, and he was living with the pigs, and he thought, I'll be better off at my dad's house than I would be at my own. He comes back to his dad's house, and his dad greets him, puts his arms around him, puts a robe and a ring back on him, and restores him to what he was. Aren't you glad for that? I am. Now, you can write this down. This love is not based on our performance or removed by our lack of performance. I want to be clear. I'm not talking about opening up the door for leadership to those who have blatant sin in their lives and want to lead others. I'm saying the Holy Spirit is thorough at his job to convict and convince, and he will simply love people unconditionally. The chapter... By the way, this chapter, I don't have time to go to it. There's another, there's another fight that breaks out. Paul wants to go back and take Barnabas to the churches they started. And uh, Barnabas says, great, let me, get me, let me get John Mark. Paul says, I don't want John Mark with me. He left us on the first missionary journey. He's a mommy's boy. I don't want him around. He ran home to mommy. That's exactly what he was saying. And Barnabas says, I know what Barnabas, I don't know if he said this, but if I were Barnabas, I would have said this. You know what, Paul? I stood up for you when everybody rejected you. And you wouldn't be where you're at today had I not stood up for you. But I don't know what he said. Paul said, I don't care what you say. Basically, I'm not taking John Mark. So he grabs Silas, and Barnabas goes with John Mark. But here's the good news. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, would you send John Mark to me? He's profitable to me for the ministry. And sometimes we have contentions and arguments, and guess what? Both can be right. And in this case, two became four ministers that continued to propagate and, and to uh, multiply the church of Jesus Christ. But this chapter ends with, or this verse I want to end with today, John six thirty seven from the Amplified. All that my Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will most certainly not cast out. I will never, never 
reject anyone who follows me. Unconditional love does not know rejection. So let's just take a moment before we take communion and talk about some of the people that came to Jesus when he walked on this earth. They weren't the religious people. They weren't the ones that could keep all the laws and the rules. It was lepers who were cast out and ostracized by everyone, including their family. There was this woman with the issue of blood who was considered unclean and no one had touched her for years and she tried everything, but she said, if I can just touch Jesus' robe, he'll change me. And he did. There was a man who had a demonized son. He came to Jesus and Jesus healed his son. There was a man who was full of demons living in a cemetery and came and cried out to Jesus and Jesus set him free. And how about Zacchaeus, the ripoff artist? He was despised by all the people. He's up in a tree to see Jesus, but Jesus saw him first. He says, hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to your house today to have some dinner. And he did. But one of my favorites is this immoral woman in Luke 7. She comes into a gathering with some perfume. A gathering where only men were allowed. She comes in. She kneels down and is just, just being in Jesus' presence. She began to weep. And her tears fell on his feet. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them off with her hair. And then she poured perfume on his feet to anoint him for burial. She was prophetic. The Bible says she was an immoral woman. And the one Pharisee was saying, if Jesus was a prophet, he would have known who she is. And Jesus looked at him and said, I think his name was Simon. He said, Simon, you know what? Those who are forgiven much, love much. Those who are forgiven little, love little. That's all he had to say. And then he said, this woman's story will be preached everywhere, wherever the gospel is told. And I want us to remember that today. So let's stand. We're going to take our communion standing up today. And as we close this series, communion is a simple supper for believers. So if you don't know Jesus today, I would say, This is your opportunity to get to know Christ. This is your opportunity to give your life to him. But I also want you to know this simple supper represents our unity. And I thought, since we're talking about contentions, since we're talking about fights, wouldn't it be good to just be unified? This is what unifies us, the blood of Jesus. It represents our forgiveness of our sins and our salvation. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, before we partake, and now we've passed out the elements, I want to give you an opportunity to know Jesus Christ, to put your faith in him. You're not here by accident today. God brought you here. You might have been a friend, but it really was the Holy Spirit that you came here today and you're in his presence and you're here because he wants you to know, I paid my life to sacrifice my life and raise from the dead, shed my blood so you could have a relationship with me. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Right now, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and say, that's me, I need Jesus in my life. So if that's you today, raise your hand high and say, I need Christ in my life. I want to take communion. I want to know this amazing God. Keep him on. One, two, three, four, five, six. Anyone else? Seven, 
eight, nine. Awesome. Come on, this is good stuff. Now here's what you, you need to know this. We're going to take communion in a moment, but you're coming into the family of God. You're not here to live this life by yourself. We're here to help you. So we all say this prayer together. Say this with me by faith. Here we go. Fa Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins, all my mistakes, and all my failures. Come into my life and be my savior, my Lord, my boss, my friend, and my king. And by your grace and by your power, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. All right. Come on. That's awesome. Let's just sing a song as you guys begin to take the lids off this stuff.